casually sing during the first three hymns, uh, trying to save my voice for the speaking part. I use whatever's left of it to join in the, the final hymn, but uh, I don't know what happened. I can remember back in the 70s, sometimes I would lead the music, give the sermonette, give the sermon, drive 150 miles, and do the whole thing all over again. So two sermons, two sermonettes, lead the songs twice, and uh, all the miles in between. And I was still relatively human when it was all done. At the end of the day, <laughs> uh, things have changed. That's okay. Well, as God gives me the strength to get through one sermon, sometimes it's, uh, I think, hard for us to realize, not having done this, how difficult, in some respects, it really is uh, to give a sermon most weeks out of the year and uh, at the holy days and feasts giving a whole bunch more it's not just physically taxing but it's emotionally and spiritually that way Uh, there's great pressure whether it be uh, not numbers of people you got to say the same things whether it's 20 people or 50,000 people it's got to be right it's got to be the truth it's got to be hopefully inspired by God. Uh, all of those things take time to prepare for and to be able to deliver that. And you, you, unless you've been in a public speaking situation a lot, and especially trying to get things right, not just in business, but spiritually, to be sure everything is in accord with God's word and his wishes and his thoughts uh, puts an awful lot of pressure uh, week to week and then coming up with I mean there's a million subjects in this book more or less but knowing what to say when and knowing what to use and sometimes I just frankly draw a blank out of all that's in here what can I say (laughs) and nothing will come so then it's when you go and pray and ask God to give meat in due season and daily bread and uh, and those things. So uh, I just thought I'd share a couple of thoughts along those lines. Uh, you might remember there that more than once it's mentioned that Christ would go up on a mountain apart. He'd get off by himself because he needed to be just with the Father. He needed to be able to pray. He needed time to think, to meditate, to, uh, well, to plan, if nothing else, and to be sure that everything stayed right in his focus. That takes time. And uh, I do that. Sometimes I just head up in the mountain somewhere for a day, if nothing more. Uh, And it, it helps keep the focus. And there are times you need more time than that. So don't be surprised. I mean, some people think once in a while I'm gone all the time. No, I'm here most of the time. But uh, And if I'm not here, I try to call it in most of the time. So I do like to take some time off to redirect, to get focused, to uh, be sure I'm where I should be with God. Because that's difficult. 
you see how difficult it is from with you from day to day to keep your mind where it needs to be and off things it shouldn't be on and all the thing of being human and uh, it, it bites us all so uh, just to share a couple of those thoughts as we get into this uh, Tuesday is the fast of the fourth month it commemorates the uh, fall of Jerusalem uh, in this latter time it commemorates I think the fall of worldwide church of God and its death if you will and uh, that has certainly affected us all very very deeply and we are hoping for a resurrection if you will of the church the latter day uh, temple the, the final one the latter temple and we hope that happens soon of course and have been looking to forward to it for quite some time and it has to happen it will happen it's in the book so we know that but we have to have our attitudes right and a fast helps us focus it, it helps us turn to God and uh, that was a tragic thing when Jerusalem fell to Nebuchadnezzar and it was a tragic thing when the church fell to the Takachas if you will and to Satan and we're still suffering the fallout from it it's affected us all in one way or another pretty deeply so much confusion, so much frustration, so much wondering, so much doubt, uh, just a plethora of attitudes and emotions and thoughts that have gone through our heads. So it's been very, very difficult, and I hope we're getting to the near the end of the confusion. And I think as God has shown us a lot of things in this book that help us see an end to the confusion that most of the church does not to this day even begin to see. At least we can look in here and we've been shown where it's going. And they don't even know yet where it's going. So they don't even have anything to anticipate. But we do. And I think we should be thankful every day for that because God has given us some direction. Uh, thankfully, and not because of anything we are, so it should be a very humbling thing to realize that God opened our minds to see. And indeed he has. So, fast of the fourth month, the fall of Jerusalem on Tuesday. <laughs> That'll be kind of fun. Some guys here are just getting a new job on Monday and taking off the next day. <laughs> I guess, unless they want to work through a fast in the heat, which I doubt. Uh, I don't. But uh, that will be understood by the boss. If not, I'll tell him so and he'll understand. Anyway, uh, one comment on the situation in the world today. You'll remember uh, just recently, two, three weeks ago, whenever it was, I went through some material showing how Donald Trump uses Luciferian signs, uh, signs of the devil, and uh, someone sent me a YouTube link today. It was very short, but it was by this uh, Roy Potter out of Salt Lake, and uh, a very interesting one. Here's a quote that he used 
and I'm using his as Potter as the authority because I didn't hear the quote. But he says that Trump said, Dr. Fauci is with us in all ways. Now that probably doesn't mean anything to you. To a Luciferian, it means a lot. I ironically am going to go, if I get there, to Romans 8 today, where Christ says he is with us always, and we can't be separated from his love. Well, the Luciferians have used a very similar phrase. When they say someone is with us in all ways, it is a satanic Luciferian chant that they use. So when Trump says Fauci, whom we know to be a globalist and a Luciferian, is with us in all ways, he is including himself as a Luciferian and as a Satanist. If there is any shadow of a doubt in anybody's mind of what Donald Trump is, the spider web ought to be clearing up. He uses Luciferian hand gestures, and now he's used one of their chants to say that Fauci is with us in all ways which is an adaptation of Christ saying, I am with you always. Satan often counterfeits and uses something similar to what God does. I think the all-seeing eye is who? God is the all-seeing eye of the universe. And I think that in the geology of the true Jerusalem, there is a geological eye there representing the all-seeing eye of God from Jerusalem. But Satan has taken that and adapted it to his Luciferian worship and followers. So he often counterfeits what God has done. We've seen that in many, many, many ways. So I think this is just another example of it. And it... Trump is actually telling, he's not telling you and me, because we didn't know what it meant. But he's telling all the Satanists and Luciferians back there that we're all in this together. Fauci and Clintons and all of them are in it together. Some people who claim to be patriots and religious and Christian are still looking for God to use a man to save this nation. They don't realize that all these prophecies have to do with the nation being totally destroyed and going into captivity. So they're still holding out hope that if they pray to God, he will deliver the nation. And they do pray that. And they're looking for a champion to lead the charge and make America great again. Uh, that's a Luciferian deception. America will not be made great again. Not until Christ returns and the millennium starts and he makes it great again on his own, using you and me to help him. So that's what's coming. And these people don't grasp that, so they're still holding out some shred of hope that the nation can be saved. 
you know better and I know better. And Donald Trump is not anybody that's going to save anything. Nothing can save it. I think I quoted to you what Jeremiah said. Don't even pray for this nation because I will not listen. I have made up my mind. The judgments are now here. And they're increasing. It, it, it's not, as I've said, prophecy anymore. It's fulfillment. Just as it started in Egypt with the first plague. And then when that subsided, came the second plague. And when that subsided, the third plague. So the process began with number one, but it didn't complete until the last one. The same thing is true here. It has begun. And what's next? I don't know what they have planned to use next, but I would not be at all surprised to see uh, something happen from Middle East terrorists soon. It might be the third or the fourth or the fifth or the sixth. I don't know. But you have all these sleeper cells from Hamas and ISIS and Hezbollah and on and on they go that are already in this country waiting for the word to unleash terror. And we've not seen hide nor hair of them. We've seen COVID from our own government in China. We've seen... Uh, Riots staged. I don't think George Floyd died at all. Well, they staged that. They planned it. They acted it out. And he probably got a nice payoff for that and was somewhere living high. Uh, they had film of him standing there talking to the cop before he laid down and got the foot planted on his head or his neck. They're doing these things on purpose. They're staged. They're planned. I hope we see that. So phase two was the, the riots, and that's still going on. And the taking over America, of American soil in Seattle and proclaiming it a separate country, which is an act of war and should have been met with absolute force and destroyed immediately. Well, Trump and all of them are in this together to destroy this country. Now they're trying to do the same thing in Nashville. They tried it in Portland and failed, but there's still protests and riots going on in Portland today. This stuff is still going on. All right? They're going to take the country down. They've started the process. They've begun the end game. Not just the dumbing down of our children. Not just all these other things they've been doing for decades. But now they've started the process of total destruction. And I do believe from Daniel, the book of Daniel, uh, chapter 8, that we will probably be in a war with Iran before this is over, and we'll break their horn, and then ours will be broken by the Assyrian and all that's involved in that coalition. So, when will they unleash the Muslim terrorists and all the different ones that there are, all the different groups. Got to happen sooner or later. So it may be the third or the fourth or the fifth. We'll see. But if you look at world news, there's still a great deal of tension building between America and Iran right now. We get sidetracked by COVID and riots here, 
and we don't see anything about these other things for the most part, but they're still going on. And the financial collapse is being perpetrated. Now they're saying there's another spike in the virus. I don't know whether there is or not. We've been lied to a lot. It may or may not be, but uh, I just read this morning that they're closing the beaches in South Florida again uh, for the week of Ju- 4th of July weekend because there's been a spike in Miami and in South Florida. So who knows whether that's true or not. I don't know. But I saw a picture of a beach. Where was it? Oh, it's in, it's in England. They just lifted the social distancing there, and people were pressed like sardines together on the beach. I mean, umbrella to umbrella and body to body, just about as tight as you could pack them. Thousands and thousands of people on this beach in England. So, where does it go from here? (laughs) We'll see. But be aware, and be watching, because the things that Christ told us about are now in force. They are happening. And there's not going to be much slowdown between them. They're going to come one right after the other. Now let's get back to John 15, a little more encouraging uh, scripture to consider. Uh, I started off last week on this thing about friendship. And I was laying background on the first part of this chapter where Christ talks about being the vine, his father being the husbandman, the one in charge, and how if we're cut off at all from the vine, we wither and die. But in terms of friendship, which he's going to get to here very shortly, uh, I made the point that you have to be connected to be fed. A branch withers if it's not fed. Now Christ gave himself and said in this, in this talk that he's giving the disciples here, I, I probably will not go to the, it in specific, but he said there that his blood is our wine and his body is our bread. So if we are disconnected from him, We do not receive the strength, the power, the ability to overcome, to grow, uh, to be in his good graces, because there's no connection there. So, he is laying himself out as our friend, and we'll read a little bit more about it down here as we go. I think we left off in verse 8, where he said that he wants us to bear much fruit, And therefore, doing that, or thereby doing that, will be his disciples, his followers, those who are with him. Uh, Rock stars, movie stars, politicians all have an entourage that goes wherever they go. Uh, They're there to uh, set things up for concerts, maybe. They're there to make sure that hotels and food is available. They're there because they want to be there. They're there as their friends if they have no other duties. They, they all have a group of people that support what it is that they're doing. Now Christ is going to set up an eternal kingdom over the whole world and the universe. And we are to be his 
followers, his disciples, those who back up and do everything that is needed to be done to support his work. That's what we're here for, to support the work that he is going to do. So he said, produce much fruit, uh, speaking spiritually. What is the fruit? Love, joy, peace, patience, the fruit of the Spirit. That's the fruit that we are to produce. I mean, if you look at it in general terms, you say, well, how do I produce fruit? What does that mean? What kind of fruit? Well, it's listed over there in Galatians 5. Works of the flesh, we see those all around us. But the fruit of the Spirit, he gives us his Spirit, and this is what is supposed to produce. So he says, bear much fruit. We can write all these down. Maybe we ought to. Just make ourselves a list of these fruits. Because we are to be a tree that produces not just one fruit, an apple tree produces just apples. Peach tree, just peaches. We're to be a tree that produces a lot of different types of fruit. And here's a list of them. <clears throat> Love, that's a fruit of God's Spirit. His kind of love is not just human emotion. His kind of love is the philios, the godly love. Uh, joy, do you, how much joy do you produce on your limbs of, of your tree, let's say? A lot of people are morose. A lot of people are frustrated. A lot of people uh, think negatively. Nothing's ever right. Everything's always wrong. Um, frustrated because of what they see around them and other people and what they think they see in them. So their joy is diminished by dwelling on things that aren't joyful. I mean, if, if all you do is read and see negative, nasty, bad stuff, then pretty soon you don't feel real joyful. <laughs> you're around people that, uh, that you're judgmental of. And... It's your attitude that kills your joy. It's not them. Because every person you meet, every person you know, is going to have faults and problems and lacks and disabilities, and they're not going to be perfect. They're just not. Nobody. So if you want to focus on what you see as their faults, you're not going to be real happy, happy, joy, joy, are you? You'll be down. You'll be frustrated. You'll be worrying about how they are. No. They're not your concern. Your concern is getting you where you need to be, not judging others and then going to God with their problems. Who does that? Who goes to God with their problems? I might read that one to you a little bit. 
the devil. Their problems you do not take to God, necessarily. Satan is the accuser of the brethren. So then if you get on your knees and accuse the brethren before God, how does that sound to him? Satan is there accusing us every day. 365 and a quarter a year, he goes before the throne of God to accuse you and me. So when you go before God to tell him about somebody's problems, it must sound really familiar to him. <laughs> That's what I've been hearing from the devil all day long. Now you? <laughs> Give me a break. Killjoy. That's an interesting word. Killjoy. You probably used it. Why do you have to be such a killjoy? Well, don't kill it. Let it flow. Be joyful. Be thankful. If you're in a thankful mood, attitude, set up state of mind to God for all the wonderful things He does for us, including the breath of life and getting up this very morning again, you don't have time to be in the doldrums and frustrated and destroying joy. That's one of the fruits you're supposed to be producing is joy. How are we doing so far? Peace. That's a fruit of the Spirit of God. Blessed are the peacemakers. Not destroyers, but peacemakers. Making peace with one another. Making it happen. It does not come on its own. By human nature, often by itself, produces war, frustration, anger, works of the flesh. The Spirit of God produces peace because God is not on a self-defense mode. He does not have vanity and ego and self-esteem in a wrong way at all. And therefore, he's peaceful. Now we stir each other up and bring out each other's vanity, ego, self. And when our self is besmirched, questioned, we get very defensive. And when we get defensive, we tend to kind of lash out. And that doesn't make peace. Doesn't make peace at all. We need to be full of the Spirit of God if we are able to be a peacemaker. Because that's how you produce the fruit of the Spirit is having His Spirit flowing through you and out to others. It, the Holy Spirit is an outgoing thing. Flows through your mind and out to others and comes out in loving, kind, joyful, peaceful ways. Long suffering. Suffering for a long time is a difficult thing to do. We suffer with 
physical maladies, we suffer with mental difficulties, we suffer with long-standing problems with families and friends, we suffer long as human beings, if nothing else, here in boot camp. He gives us 50, 60, 70, 80, 90 years to go through being a human being which is a long time to suffer the way we are. So, being able to suffer long in patience, peace, and joy is something that has to come from God. It's not something that is generated from a human mind. Gentleness. Well, there's a nice thing. Have you ridden horses? I like a gentle one myself. I got bucked off of one one time, broke both arms, and ruined most of my brain matter, I think. Did a three-point landing. There is such a thing as a trinity. I hit on both arms and my head. Down the hill and the rocks. And uh, I was not happy with that horse. He'd been pretty good all day, but his gentleness just went away. And all of a sudden, when he saw a gopher, he just came totally unglued. You know what? I remember that. That's, that's how I'm able to recount it to you. I remember that horse that wasn't gentle. That's, that's, that's my kind of horse. He doesn't kick. He doesn't bite. Some horses do, you know. And... I'm going riding. I'd like, I'd like a nice, I'd like a nice one. And Christ wants us to be nice. He wants us to be gentle. I, I don't. If you look up gentleness in the dictionary, I doubt if you will say, or that one of the definitions will be temper or anger or flying off the handle flipping your lid or losing it or a thousand things we use to describe what we regularly do as humans. Gentleness. Goodness. There's a fruit. Just plain goodness. There's a lot of evil around. And that's the works of the flesh. But goodness is something that comes from God. Because he is good, and nothing else is. The devil isn't, the demons aren't, and human beings, by their very nature, are not good. We are contrary to God. There's one to work on. Faith. Simply believing God. Trusting him that what he says he is going to do. We're going to get to Abraham. But that's one of the keynotes of his life, was he simply believed what God said. <laughs> kind of laughed at first, but he believed it anyway. And he waited, and he waited, believing God. And his belief, his faith, his trust, was counted as righteousness. Now, he may have had other problems, but his faith, a true belief was counted as righteousness. So if God says it, 
and you believe it and follow, no matter what, you will not be shaken, then everything's going to work out. It just will. Doesn't he even say in here that the things which cannot be shaken will remain. Just can't be shaken. Meekness. Okay. If somebody attacks us, can we be meek? Can we be mild? Can we be accepting? You know, we're told that if you're falsely accused, no, if you're rightfully accused and you take it patiently, there's no reward for that because you did it and somebody tells you that you did it and you did and you take that patiently, what's the reward in that? But if you didn't do it and you're accused of it and you take that patiently, that requires the Spirit of God and that is acceptable to Him. So when it says meekness, that gets rid of our ego, that gets rid of our self-defense mechanisms where we try to defend ourselves. You know, we had a lot of accusations by a lot of people around here against each other and against me and so on. And at first, I tried to defend some things and say, well, no, that's not actually true. But you know what? It didn't change a thing. If people decide to believe something, they're going to believe it no matter what. They just are. So what good is it to try to defend yourself? You can tell them the truth, and they won't believe it because they believe the lie. So what good does it do to get upset? Just go ahead and be meek, and that's acceptable to God. Don't fight it. That's what you want to believe. Believe it. I can't change what you're going to believe. But that's not our nature. Our nature is to defend the Son. Not guilty, Your Honor. You know? Or even if we are guilty, we'll try to find a way to justify our sins, won't we? Because we don't want to be thought of as a sinner. By ourselves, by anyone else, or by God. The beauty is, we can go. We don't have to fight with human beings about ourselves. We just have to go to God and ask for forgiveness for whatever we may have done. And if it's forgiven, then whatever people hold against you is on them. Because if Christ is forgiven, that's all there is to worry about. Really, isn't it? You know, people just don't know about you. Do you realize that? They really don't know about you. They have their feelings. They have their doubts. They have their misgivings. They have their imaginations. But they don't really know everything you've done, do they? I'll tell you who the leading authorities are on you. God, who sees all, Satan who sees most and you you're the only one that knows everything you've done and everything you've thought 
Nobody else has that much insight. They just have their opinions about you. Now, if you can know what you've done wrong, know what you've thought wrong, and you can repent of that before God, that solves the problem with Him and with you. The only ones left carrying the problem are Satan and your accusers. And they can be flipped away because they don't count. They just don't count. God and you are the ones that count. Satan and your accusers mean nothing. Let's go on back to Revelation 12. Because I've been talking about this, I was going to get into it a little later uh, in terms of what kind of a friend Christ is to us. But we're kind of already in that even before we've gotten down to the verse where he says that he's offering us friendship. And that's okay. But here he talks about Satan and uh, let's see, I'm at 11 and 12. Satan and how he drew a third of the angels with him and how the woman, the church, is bringing forth Christ. Well, now he was born to Mary a long time ago physically, but we're to be bringing him forth in our heart, in our mind, our actions. We're to bring forth Christ. By producing the fruits of the Spirit, we are producing Christ. And it is a childlike thing. He equates it to childbirth. That a human being is impregnated by repentance and the laying on of hands with the Holy Spirit. And then it begins to produce the fruit of Christ. The fruits of the Spirit. And it's like a newborn baby. Uh, him being growing in us so he was caught up into his throne and the woman fled into the wilderness where she has a place prepared for her for three and a half years that's just ahead of us not too far a few years and there was war in heaven Michael and his angels fought against the dragon and the dragon fought in his angels so there's been a war in the past but there's another war coming and you know what this war is over? The war is about Christ's friendship with his saints. Satan is not worried about the world that he has deceived. He's not worried about his demons whom he has deceived. The ones he's worried about are us. Because we are attempting to follow God and produce God on this earth and he does not like that so this war is going to be fought over you and me <clears throat> now does that give a glimpse of how much of a friend Jesus Christ or Emmanuel is to his brothers and sisters and the father to his sons and Christ for the bride to be he is very jealous of his bride and he is going to fight a war with Satan and a third of the angels become demons over us. He will stand up for his bride. He has her back. He has her front. He has her. And he's not going to lose her. And he's going to fight Satan and the demons to keep her. How many friends do you know like that? 
that will go to war for you. That will take a bullet for you. Didn't Christ take a bullet for us? He gave his life for us. So not only will he go to war for us, he will take a bullet for us and already has. Before we even knew it. We were out there in the world we didn't know. Now I hope we have a glimpse of that. But this war is over us. And he prevailed not, in verse 8, neither was there place found any more in heaven. So Satan, God has tolerated him there, accusing you and me, day and night, for a long, long time. And he's tired of it, and he's going to cast Satan down, and he will never more be allowed there to accuse us. And that is at the time that the church goes into a place of safety in Zion for three and a half years where she is protected from Satan and his demons. Let's go on down and see that. The great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil, and Satan, which deceives the whole world, he was cast out into the earth and his angels were cast out with him. God wins the war. Cast him out. Never allows him to come back. And I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now is come salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ. For the accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accused them before our God day and night. So he is going to exercise his power and cut off accusation. And it says, now has come the kingdom. Well, this is the beginning of the intervention there that will culminate in the kingdom of God with the bride ruling with Christ for a thousand years. So he's going to protect us. Well, that'll be a relief. Now, what if we still go before God with accusation in our hearts toward each other. That will then remind him of what Satan was doing. And he won't like it. God hates accusation. He hates it with a purple passion. I wish we could grasp that. We don't, but I wish we could. We just don't get it. We don't. The fruits are, the manifestation is, that we don't get it. Because we keep accusing each other. We keep talking about each other. We keep gossiping about each other. That is damnable to God. Absolutely damnable. We've got to stop it. Somebody accuses somebody of something, you just say, stop right there. That's God's son. He loves it. And he'll love you too if you quit accusing others. But anybody who is in that kind of attitude cannot be in the kingdom of God. When I used the word damnable, I was absolutely accurate. 
if we are going to try to cause upset and frustration and accusing each other throughout all eternity, God will simply not have us there. We just won't be there. He will not have that. He's had enough of it. He's throwing Satan down and saying, don't you ever come back. And if we tend and want to be like Satan, accusing each other of whatever, we won't be there either. That's not a fruit of the Spirit. I guess I'll just stop right there. If we don't hear anything else, we ought to hear that. Let's have potluck. I'm done.